listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. The Iraq War was an armed conflict in Iraq. It is usually dated to begin with the invasion of the Ba'athist Iraq starting on March 20th, 2003, by an invasion force led by the United States. Although clashes between the Iraqi military and the United States and United Kingdom Air Forces had been going on since December 1998. It was followed by a longer phase of fighting in which an insurgency emerged to oppose the occupying forces and the newly formed Iraqi government. The U.S. completed its withdrawal of military personnel in December 2011. However, the Iraqi insurgency continues and has caused thousands of fatalities in 2012. Prior to the war, the governments of the United States and the United Kingdom claimed that Iraq's alleged possession of weapons of mass destruction posed a threat to their security and that their coalition and regional allies were in danger. In 2002, the United Nations Security Council passed Resolution 1441, which called for Iraq to completely cooperate with UN weapon inspectors to verify that Iraq was not in possession of weapons of mass destruction and cruise missiles. 
prior to the attack, the United Nations Monitoring, Verification, and Inspection Commission found no evidence of WMD, but could not yet verify the accuracy of Iraq's declarations regarding what weapons it possessed. After investigations following the invasion, the U.S.-led Iraq Survey Group concluded that Iraq had ended its nuclear, chemical, and biological programs in 1991 and had no active programs at the time of the invasion, but that they intended to resume production if the Iraq sanctions were lifted. Although some degraded remnants of misplaced or abandoned chemical weapons from before 1991 were found, they were not the weapons which had been one of the main arguments of the invasion. Some U.S. officials also accused Iraqi President Saddam Hussein of harboring and supporting Al-Qaeda, but no evidence of meaningful connection was ever found. Other proclaimed reasons for the invasion, including Iraq's financial support for the families of Palestinian suicide bombers, Iraqi government human rights abuses, and an effort to spread democracy to the country. On March 16, 2003, the U.S. government advised the United Nations inspectors to exit Iraq, and the following day, President Bush issued a 48-hour ultimatum demanding Saddam and his sons to go into exile. On March 20th, an American-led coalition conducted a surprise military invasion of Iraq without declaring war. The invasion led to an occupation and the eventual capture of Saddam Hussein, who was later tried in an Iraqi court of law and executed by the new Iraq government. Free elections were held in the year 2005, resulting of the formation of a Shia-led government under Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki. Violence against coalition forces and among various sectarian groups soon led to the Iraqi insurgency. Strife between many Sunni and Shia Iraqi groups and the emergence of a new faction of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. In June 2008, the U.S. Department of Defense officials claimed security and economic indicators began to show signs of improvement in what they hailed as a significant and fragile gain. Iraq was fifth on the 2008 Failed States Index 
and sixth on the 2009 list. As public opinion favoring troop withdrawals increased, and as Iraqi forces began to take responsibility for security, member nations of the coalition withdrew their forces. In late 2008, the U.S. and Iraqi governments approved a status of forces agreement effective through January 1, 2012. The Iraqi parliament also ratified a strategic framework agreement with the U.S. aimed at ensuring cooperation in constitutional rights, threat deterrence, education, energy development, and other areas. In late February 2009, newly elected U.S. President Barack Obama announced an 18-month withdrawal window for combat forces, with approximately 50,000 troops remaining in the country to advise and train Iraqi security forces and to provide intelligence and surveillance. United Kingdom forces ended combat operations on April 30, 2009. Iraqi Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki said he supported the accelerated pullout of U.S. forces. In a speech at the Oval Office on August 31, 2010, Obama declared the American combat mission in Iraq has ended. Operation Iraqi Freedom is over, and the Iraqi people now have led respon lead responsibility for the security of their country. Beginning September 1, 2010, the American operational name for its involvement in Iraq changed from Operation Iraqi Freedom to Operation New Dawn. The remaining 50,000 U.S. troops were designated as Advise and Assist Brigades, assigned to non-combat operations while retaining the ability to revert to combat operations as necessary. Two combat aviation brigades also remain in Iraq. In September 2010, the Associated Press issued an internal memo reminding its reporters that combat in Iraq is not over and U.S. troops remain involved in combat operations alongside Iraqi forces, although U.S. officials say the American combat mission has formally ended. On October 21, 2011, President Obama announced that all U.S. troops and trainers would leave Iraq by the end of the year, bringing the U.S. mission in Iraq to an end. On December 15, 2011, U.S. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta officially declared the Iraq War over 
at a flag-lowering ceremony in Baghdad. The last U.S. troops left Iraqi territory on December 18, 2011 at 427 UTC. The issue of Iraq's disarmament reached a crisis in the year 2002-2003 when then-President Bush demanded a complete end to alleged Iraqi production of weapons of mass destruction and full compliance with UN Security Council resolutions requiring UN weapon inspectors unfettered access to suspected weapon production facilities. The UN had prohibited Iraq from developing or possessing such weapons after the Gulf War and required Iraq to permit inspections confirming compliance. During 2002, President Bush repeatedly warned of military action against Iraq unless inspections were allowed to progress unfettered. In accordance with UN Secretary Council Resolution 1441, Iraq reluctantly agreed to new inspections in late 2002. Although praising Iraq for its cooperation in the inspection process, Chief UN Weapons Inspector Hans Blix remarked in January 2003 that Iraq appears not to have come to a genuine acceptance, not even today, of the disarmament, which was demanded of it and which it needs to carry out to win the confidence of the world and to live in peace. Among other things, he noted that 910 tons of chemical agents were unaccounted for. Information on Iraq's VX nerve agent program was missing and that no convincing evidence was presented for the destruction of 1,900 gallons of anthrax that had been declared. Before the Gulf War in 1990, Iraq had stockpiled 550 short tons of yellow cake uranium at the Tawaithia nuclear complex about 12 miles south of Baghdad. In late February 2002, the CIA sent former ambassador Joseph C. Wilson to investigate reports later found to be forgeries 
that Iraq was attempting to purchase additional yellow cake from Niger. Wilson returned and informed the CIA that reports of yellow cake sales in Iraq were unequivocally wrong. The Bush administration, however, continued to allege Iraq's attempt to obtain additional yellow cake were a justification for military action. Most prominently, in the January 2003 State of the Union Address, in which President Bush declared that Iraq had sought uranium, citing British intelligence sources. In response, Wilson wrote a critical New York Times op-ed piece in June 2003, stating that he had personally investigated claims of yellow cake purchases and believed them to be fraudulent. After Wilson's op-ed, Wilson's wife, Valerie Plame, was publicly identified as an undercover CIA analyst by a columnist. This led to a Justice Department's investigation into the source of the leak. On May 1st, 2005, the Downing Street Memo was published in the Sunday Times. It contained an overview of the secret July 23rd, 2002 meeting among British government, Ministry of Defense, and British intelligence figures who discussed the build-up to the Iraqi war, including direct references to classified U.S. policy of the time. The memo stated that President Bush wanted to remove Saddam through military action justified by the conjunction of terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. But the intelligence and facts were being fixed around this policy. In September 2002, the Bush administration, the CIA, said attempts by Iraq to acquire high-strength aluminum tubes that were prohibited under the UN monitoring program, and which they said pointed to a clandestine effort to make centrifuges to enrich uranium for nuclear bombs. This analysis was opposed by the United States Department of Energy, which was significant because the Department of Energy's expertise in such gas centrifuge and nuclear weapons programs. The Department of Energy argued that the Iraqi tubes were poorly suited for centrifuges, that while it was technically possible with additional modifications, conventional military use were more plausible. A recent report released by the Institute for Science and International Security in 2002 reported that it was highly unlikely that the tubes could be used to enrich uranium. An effort by the Department of Energy to correct this detail in comments prepared for the United States Secretary of State, Colin Powell's 
United Nation appearance was rebuffed by the administration and Powell in his address to the UN Security Council just before the war referred referenced the aluminum tubes stating that while experts disagreed on whether or not the tubes were destined for a centrifuge program the specifications of the tubes were unusually tight Colin Powell later admitted he had presented what turned out to be an inaccurate case to the United Nations on Iraqi weapons and the intelligence he was relying on was in some cases deliberately misleading. The CIA had contacted Iraqi's foreign minister Naja Shabri who is being paid by the French as an agent. Sabri informed them that Saddam had hidden poison gas among Sunni tribesmen and had ambitions for a nuclear program, but that it was not active, and that no biological weapons were being produced or stockpiled, although research was underway. According to Cindy Blutenthal, George Tenet briefed President Bush on September 18, 2002 that Sabri had informed them that Iraq did not have weapons of mass destruction. President Bush dismissed this top-secret intelligence from Hussein's inner circle which was approved by two senior CIA officers. This information was never shared with Congress or CIA agents examining whether Saddam had such weapons. In the case of biological weapons, based on the reports obtained by the German intelligence service from an Iraqi defector codenamed Curveball, Colin Powell presented evidence the United Nations Security Council that Iraq had an active biological weapons program. On February 15, 2011, the defector, a scientist identified as Rafid Ahmed Awan al-Janafri, admitted to journalists working for the Guardian newspaper that he lied in order to strengthen the case against Saddam Hussein, whom he wished to see removed from power. During 2002, the amount of ordnance used by British and American aircraft patrolling the no-fly zones of Iraq increased compared to the previous years and by August had become a full air offensive. Tommy Franks, the Allied commander, later stated that the bombing was designed to degrade the Iraqi air defense system before an invasion. In October 2002, 
a few days before the U.S. Senate voided, voted on the joint resolution to authorize the use of United States armed forces against Iraq. About 75 senators were told in closed session that Iraq had the means of attacking the eastern seaboard of the United States with biological or chemical weapons delivered by unmanned aerial vehicles. On February 5, 2003, Colin Powell presented further evidence in his Iraqi Weapons of Mass Destruction program presentation to the United Nations Security Councils that unmanned aerial vehicles were ready to be launched against the United States. At the time, there was a vigorous dispute within the U.S. military and intelligence communities as to whether CIA conclusions about Iraqi UAVs were accurate. And other intelligence agencies suggested that Iraq did not possess any offensive UAV capabilities, saying the few they had were designed for surveillance and intended for reconnaissance. The Senate voted to approve the joint resolution with the support of large bipartisan majorities on October 11, 2002, providing the Bush administration with a legal basis for U.S. invasion under U.S. law. The resolution granted by the authorization by the Constitution of the United States and the United States Congress for the President to command the military to fight anti-United States violence. Citing the Iraq Liberation Act of 1998, the resolution reiterated that it should be the policy of the United States to remove the Hussein regime and promote a democratic replacement. The authorization was signed by President George W. Bush on October 16, 2002. In the 2003 State of the Union Address, President Bush said, We know that Iraq, in the late 1990s, had several mobile biological weapons labs. On February 5, 2003, Secretary of State Colin Powell appeared before the UN to present American evidence that Iraq was hiding unconventional weapons. The French government also believed that Saddam had stockpiles of anthrax and botulism toxins and the ability to produce VX. In March, Blix said progress had been made in inspections and no evidence of weapons of mass destructions had been found. Iraqi scientist Rafid Ahmad Alawan al-Janabi, codenamed Curveball, 
admitted in February 2011 that he lied to the CIA about biological weapons in order to get the U.S. to attack and remove Hassan Hussein from power. In early 2003, the U.S., British, and Spanish governments proposed the so-called 18th Resolution to give Iraqi a deadline for compliance with previous resolution enforced by the threat of military action. This proposed resolution was subsequently withdrawn due to lack of support on the UN Security Council. In particular, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO members, France, Germany, and Canada, and non-NATO members, Russia, were opposed to military intervention in Iraq due to the high level of risk to the international community's security and defended disarmament through diplomacy. A meeting between President George W. Bush and Prime Minister Tony Blair took place on January 31st, 2003 in the White House. A secret memo of this meeting purportedly showed that the Bush administration had already decided on the invasion of Iraq at that point. Bush was allegedly floating the idea of painting a U-2 spy plane in UN colors and letting it fly low over Iraq to provoke Iraqi forces into shooting it down, thereby providing a pretext for the United States and Britain to invade. President Bush and Prime Minister Blair agreed to carry out the invasion regardless of whether weapons of mass disruptions were discovered by United Nations weapons inspectors. In the memo, President Bush is paraphrased as saying, the start date for the military campaign was now penciled in for March 10th. This is when the bombing would begin. In October 2002, Former U.S. President Bill Clinton warned about possible dangers of preemptive military action against Iraq. Speaking in the United Nations on a Labor Party conference, he said, As a preemptive action today, however, well justified, may come back with unwelcome consequences in the future. I don't care how precise your bombs and your weapons are. When you set them off, innocent people will die. On January 20th, 2003, French Foreign Minister Dominique de Villepin declared, We believe that military intervention would be the worst solution. Meanwhile, anti-war groups across the world organized public protests. According to French academics, between January 3rd and April 12th, 2003, 
36 million people across the globe took part in almost 3,000 protests against the war in Iraq, with demonstrations on February 15, 2003 being the largest and most prolific. In February 2003, the U.S.'s Army's top general, Eric Shinsisky, told the Senate Armed Service Committee that it would take several hundred thousand soldiers to secure Iraq. Two days later, U.S. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld said the post-war troop commitment would be less than the number of troops required to win the war, and that the idea that it would take several hundred thousand U.S. forces is far from the mark. Deputy Defense Secretary Paul Wolfowitz said Shinsisky's estimates was way off the mark because other countries would take part in the occupying force. In March 2003, Hans Blix reported that no evidence of proscribed activities have so far been found in Iraq, saying that progress was made in inspections which would continue. He estimated the time remaining for disarmament being verified through inspections to be months, but the U.S. government announced that diplomacy had failed and that it would proceed with a coalition of allied countries named the Coalition of the Willing to rid Iraq of its alleged weapons of mass destruction. The U.S. government abruptly advised U.N. weapons inspectors to leave Baghdad immediately. There were serious legal questions surrounding the launching of the war against Iraq and the Bush doctrine of preemptive war in general. On September 16, 2004, Kofi Annan, the Secretary General of the United Nations, said of the invasion, I have indicated it was not in conformity with the UN Charter. From our point of view, from the Charter point of view, it was illegal. In November 2008, Lord Bingham, the former British law lord described the war a serious violation of international law and accused Britain and the United States of acting like a world vigilante. He also criticized the post-invasion record of Britain as an occupying power in Iraq regarding the treatment of Iraqi detainees in Abu Ghraib. Bingham said, particularly disturbing to proponents of the rule of law is the cynical lack of concern for international legality among some top officials in the Bush administration. In July 2010, 
Deputy Prime Minister of the UK, Nick Clegg, in an official's Prime Minister question session in Parliament, condemned the invasion of Iraq as illegal. Theorist Francis Fukuyama has argued that the Iraq War and the close association it created between military invasion and democracy promotion tarnished the latter. The Invasion The first Central Intelligence Agency invasion team entered Iraq on July 10, 2002. This team was composed of members of the CIA Special Activities Division and was later joined by members of the U.S. military's Elite Special Operation Command, JSOC. Together, they prepared for the invasion of conventional forces. These efforts consisted of persuading the commanders of several Iraqi military divisions to surrender rather than oppose the invasion and to identify all the initial leadership targets during very high risk reconnaissance missions. Most importantly, their efforts organized the Kurdish Peshmerga to become the northern front of the invasion. Together, this force defeated Ansar al-Azam in Iraqi Kurdistan before the invasion and then defeated the Iraqi army in the north. The battle against Ansar al-Azam led to the death of a substantial number of militants and the uncovering of a chemical weapons facility at Sargat. At 5.34 a.m. Baghdad time on March 20th, 2003, the surprise military invasion of Iraq began. There was no declaration of war. The 2003 invasion of Iraq, led by U.S. Army General Tommy Franks, began under the code name Operation Iraqi Liberation later renamed Operation Iraqi Freedom. The United Kingdom's code name, Operation Telic, and the Australian code name, Operation Falconeer. Coalition forces also cooperated with Kurdish Peshmerga forces in the north. Approximately 40 other governments the U.S.-led coalition against Iraq participated by providing troops, equipment, services, security, and special forces with 248,000 soldiers from the United States, 45,000 British soldiers, 2,000 Australian soldiers, and 194 Polish soldiers from Special Forces Unit Grom sent to Kuwait for the invasion. The invasion force was also supported by Iraqi Kurdish militia troops estimated to number upwards of 70,000. 
According to General Tommy Franks, the objectives of the invasion were, first, to end the regime of Saddam Hussein, second, to identify, isolate, and eliminate Iraq's weapons of mass destruction, third, to search for, to capture, and to drive out terrorists from that country, fourth, to collect such intelligence as we can relate it to terrorist networks. Fifth, to collect such intelligence as we can relate to the global network of illicit weapons of mass destruction. Sixth, to end sanctions and to immediately deliver humanitarian support to the displaced and the many needy Iraqi citizens. Seventh, to secure Iraq's oil fields and resources, which belong to the Iraqi people. And last, to help the Iraqi people create conditions for a transition to a representative self-government. The invasion was a quick and decisive operation, encountering major resistance, though not what the U.S., British, and other forces expected. The Iraqi regime had prepared to fight both a conventional and irregular war at the same time, conceding territory when faced with superior conventional forces, largely armored, but launching smaller scale attacks in the rear using fighters dressed in civilian and paramilitary clothes. This achieved some temporary success and created unexpected challenges for the invading forces, especially the U.S. military. Coalition troops launched air and amphibious assaults on Al-Fal Peninsula to secure the oil fields there and the important ports supported by warships of the Royal Navy, Polish Navy, Royal Australian Navy. The United States Marine Corps' 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit, attached to 3 Commando Brigade and the Polish Special Forces Unit Grom, attacked the port of Umgasar while British Army's 16th Air Assault Brigade ensured the oil fields in southern Iraq. Polish commandos captured offshore oil platforms near the port, preventing their destruction. The heavy armor of the U.S. 3rd Infantry Division moved westward and then northward through the western desert toward Baghdad while the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force moved more easterly along Highway Lung through the center of the country, and 1st United Kingdom Armored Division moved northward through the eastern marshland. The, the U.S. 1st Marine Division fought through Nazaria in the battle to seize the major road junction 
and nearby Talil Airfield. The United States Army 3rd Infantry Division defeated Iraqi forces entrenched in and around the airfield and bypassed the city to the west in its drive up north through western Iraq. With the Nazaria and Talil airfield secured in its rear, the 3rd Infantry Division, supported by the 101st Airborne Division, continued its attack northward, Najaf and Karabola, but a severe sandstorm slowed the coalition advance and there was a halt to consolidate and make sure the supply lines were secure. When they started again, they secured the Kabarla Gap, a key approach to Baghdad, then secured the bridges over the Euphrates River, and the American forces poured through the gap onto Baghdad in the middle of Iraq. The 1st Marine Division fought its way to the eastern side of Baghdad and prepared for the attack into Baghdad to seize it. In the north, the largest special operations force since the successful attack on the Taliban government of Afghanistan just over a year earlier was in place. The Iraqi army was quickly overwhelmed in each engagement it faced with U.S. forces, with the elite Fedayeen Saddam putting up a strong, sometimes suicidal resistance before melting away into the civilian population. On April 9th, Baghdad fell, ending President Hussein's 24-year rule. U.S. forces seized the deserted Ba'ath Party ministries and stage-managed the tearing down of a huge iron statue of Hassan Hussein. Photos and videos of which became symbolic of the event, although later controversial. Not seen in the photos or heard on the videos shot with a zoom lens was the chant of the inflamed cloud. According to the Pentagon, 230,000 tons of ordnance was looted from the country of Iraq, providing a significant source of ammunition for the Iraqi insurgency. The invasion phase concluded when Tikrit, Hassan Hussein's hometown, fell with little resistance to the U.S. Marines of Task Force Tripoli, and on April 15th, the coalition declared the invasion effectively over. In the invasion phase of the war, from March 19th through April 30th, 9,200 Iraqi combatants were killed, along with 7,299 civilians, primarily by U.S. air and ground forces. Coalition forces reported the death in combat 
of 139 U.S. military personnel and 33 U.K. military personnel. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.